so we are at page 75. Um, have we started on the the section 5? We'll stop at right at first. But we are at that, the last paragraph, right? I was just sharing in brief. Yeah. So I went through with you all the right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood. Uh, and right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration is under the section on the training of the mind. So what is right effort? In brief, um, <coughs> the, the stopping... Uh, the dealing with uh, unwholesome thoughts and the wholesome thoughts. So as far as evil unwholesome thoughts is concerned, that which is not arisen, uh, prevent it from arising, that which has arisen, reduce it and remove it. For wholesome thoughts, that which has not arisen, uh, promote the arising of the wholesome thoughts, that which has arisen, to allow it to blossom and grow. Yeah. Then from there, right mindfulness. Uh, the four foundations of mindfulness is what is meant by right mindfulness. Because we can be mindful about a lot of things, but uh, here the Buddha highlights four areas, four aspects that we should pay attention to. Uh, namely, body, feelings, mind, and mental objects. Yeah, you can refer to the Satipatthana Sutta in Majjhima Nikaya, uh, Sutta number 10, or you can refer to uh, the Diga Nikaya, Maha Satipatthana Sutta. Yeah, so, these monks is that middle way, awakened to by the Tathagata, which gives rise to vision, which gives rise to knowledge and leads to peace, to direct knowledge, to enlightenment, to Nibbana. Now this monks is the noble truth of suffering. Birth is suffering, aging is suffering, illness is suffering, death is suffering. Union with what is displeasing is suffering. Separation from what is pleasing is suffering. Not to get what one wants is suffering. In brief, the five aggregates subject to clinging are suffering. So usually we list this, uh, the first noble truth, as having eight forms of suffering, or eight categories of suffering. This is is where it's from. Uh, Both in this sutta, uh, the Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta, the first uh, teaching that the Buddha gave to the five monks, the five ascetics, but also in the Sangita Nikaya, there's um, a whole series of sutta about the Four Noble Truths. Uh, this Four Noble Truths, basically, uh, truth of X, cause of X, end of X, path leading to the end of X. Yeah, this standard formula can be seen in uh, many other suttas uh, with reference to many different things as well. Yeah. So, uh, 
Now, this, monks, is the noble truth of the origin of suffering. It is this craving that leads to renewed existence, accompanied by delight and lust, seeking delight here and there, that is, craving for sensual pleasures, craving for existence, cra craving for extermination. Yeah, so this term extermination sometimes translated as uh, nihilism or annihilation. Yeah, so uh, it is the opposite of existence. Yeah, so three kinds of existence, craving, yeah, craving for sensual pleasure, craving for existence, craving for non-existence. Yeah, so this is the cause of suffering. Then you have the third noble truth. Now these monks is the noble truth of the cessation of suffering. It is the remainderless fading away and cessation of that same craving, the giving up and relinquishing of it, freedom of it, non-attachment. So um, from, uh, from the first two, yeah, the first two is the path of suffering. Then this is uh, the cessation. And finally, uh, the Noble Eightfold Path. Now, this monks is the noble truth of the way leading to the cessation of suffering. It is this Noble Eightfold Path that is right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. This is the noble truth of suffering, thus, monks, in regard to things unheard before, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. This noble truth of suffering is to be fully understood, thus, monks, in regards to things unheard of, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. <coughs> This noble truth of suffering has been fully understood. Thus, monks, in regards to things unheard before, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. Yeah. So, uh, then finally, uh, this is the noble truth of the origin of suffering. Thus, monks, in regard to Things unheard before, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. This noble truth of the origin of suffering is to be abandoned. Thus, monks, in regard to things unheard before, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. So, the, the four noble truths, uh, each of them, there are different things to be done. The first noble truth is to be comprehended. The second noble truth is to be abandoned, the third is to be attained, and the fourth is to be developed. Yeah. So some of the different texts they may translate differently. Yeah. Uh, uh use the mic. This noble truth of the origin of suffering has been abandoned. Thus, monks, in regard to things unheard before, there arose in me 
vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. This is the noble truth of the cessation of suffering. Thus, monks, in regard to things unheard before, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. Hmm. Thank you. Uh, Billing? This noble truth of the cessation of suffering is to be realized. Thus, monk, in regard to things unheard before, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. This noble truth of the cessation of suffering has been realized. Thus, monk, in regard to things unheard before, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. Thank you. This noble truth of the cessation of suffering has been realized. Thus, monks, in regard to things unheard before, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. Continue. This is the noble truth of the way leading to the cessation of suffering. Thus, monks, in regards to things unheard before, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. Thank you. This noble truth of the way leading to the cessation of suffering is to be developed. Thus, monks, in regard to things unheard before, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. This noble truth of the way leading to the cessation of suffering has been developed. Thus, monks, in regard to things unheard before, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light. Thank you. So long, monks, as my knowledge and vision of these four noble truths, as they really are in their three phases and twelve aspects, was not thoroughly purified in this way. I did not claim to have awakened to be to the unsurpassed perfect enlightenment in this world with its divas, maras, brahma, in these populations with its ascetics and brahmins as divas and humans. But when my knowledge and vision of this four noble truth, as they really are in the three phases and twelve aspect was thoroughly purified in this way, then I claim to have awakened to the unsurpassed perfect enlightenment in this world with its divas, Mara, Brahma, in these populations with its ascetics and Brahmins, its divas and humans. The knowledge and vision arose in me. Unshakable is the liberation of my mind. This is my last birth. Now there is no more renewed existence. Thank you. Yeah, so for each of the... So there's these three phases and twelve aspects. The twelve aspects come from uh, the three phases for each of the noble truth. Yeah. So... Uh, for each of this... Uh, for each of the noble truth, there's the noble truth itself. And then um, the the knowledge that of what needs to be done about them, and then uh, knowledge that it has been done. So, for example, the first noble truth. This is the noble truth of suffering. Yeah. So he knows. Okay. Uh, what is the truth of suffering? What exactly about suffering do we understand? 
then uh, he knows that okay uh, in order to be enlightened uh, that this noble truth has to be fully understood so this is the second phase then the third phase he knows that he has already fully understood the first noble truth yeah, so first the truth itself then needs know what is to be done then knows that it has been done for the second noble truth it is uh, he knows the noble truth of the origin of suffering then he knows that the origin of suffering is to be abandoned then he knows that the noble truth of, of the origin of suffering has been abandoned the third noble truth is uh, the cessation of suffering and then he knows that the third noble truth of the cessation of suffering is to be, in this case the translation is to be attained then after that he knows for himself that the third noble truth of the cessation of suffering has been attained yeah. then for the fourth noble truth is uh, he knows the, the, the fourth noble truth of the way leading to the cessation of suffering then he knows that the noble truth of the cessation of suffering is to be uh, developed or in this case what was the word that they use development uh, develop, huh? mm -hmm. yeah. so then he knows lastly that uh, he has already developed the fourth noble truth of the way leading to the cessation of suffering now this is how the four noble truth has uh, three phases for each of them and then uh, the altogether there are 12 aspects so uh, yeah so this is the the thing about the, the teachings so not difficult to know the teachings yeah uh, but to know what needs to be done about them is also not too difficult yeah but if we don't read the original sutra oftentimes we only know so it, we may not, it may not occur to us that we have to do different things to each of them. Yeah. Then, of course, we cannot talk about the third phase of things, yeah, which is to have understood the first truth, uh, abandon the second truth, then uh, attain the third truth and develop the fourth truth. Yeah. So if you can do that, then what happened? Then you would have attained enlightenment and there will be knowledge and vision arising in you unshakable is the liberation of my mind this is my last birth now there is no more renewed existence uh, before I continue uh, I re you may remember the, the part about the 12 links on uh, mind body yeah, on the Ming Se yeah, Nama Rupa. So, um, very interestingly, in the Pali Canon, uh, as far as the twelfth link is concerned, um, there is the explanation that we I've given in the chat group. But then, when I when we go through the Chinese Tripitaka Da Zhen Zhang, um, almost all the all the uh, all the parts that has Ningse actually talk about very generally mind and body. Yeah, very generally mind and body. Yeah, so uh, there was a bit of 
confusion previously like oh so all the while when we learn uh, Mingse Nama Rupa uh, does it mean that it's wrong actually it doesn't mean that it's wrong uh. it's just that specific to um, specific to the Pali Canon and specific to the 12 links then Nama which is name uh, only includes the, those factors excluding consciousness whereas in um, the various sutras uh, that has Nama Rupa inside the Chinese ship Daga Da Zhenzang yeah, it actually covers So Xiang Xing Shi Cannot hear So in the Chinese Tripitaka in the Chinese Sri Pitaka you will find that the, the term Nama Rupa or Ming Se uh, actually has a much broader uh, meaning yeah. uh, one way to look at it is that Nama, Nama literally means name yeah. so uh, it is like saying Toyota is a car but a car may not be Toyota Okay. Yeah, a Toyota. Okay la, Please don't go and find me a Toyota rice cooker or what la. But a Toyota car must be a car. Okay. But a car may not be a Toyota. So Nama here is like a placeholder for a car. So anything that has to do with mind can be called Nama. Yeah. But specific to the twelve links at this point, uh, in the Pali Canon. The definition is uh, it doesn't include consciousness, or it doesn't include consciousness, yeah, because consciousness is preceding it. Uh, but in uh, the various sutras, you can, you can go and look at cbeta.org, uh, Mingse, you search for Mingse, you'll find that it, it actually covers Sukhang Singshi. So just to clarify that. So uh, okay, KS. This is what the blessed one said. Delighted the monks of the groups of five delighted in the blessed one statement. And while this discourse was being spoken, there arose in the venerable Kondana the dust free, stainless vision of Dharma. Whatever is subjected to origination is all subject to cessation. Thank you. So this is the venerable that was mentioned uh, earlier. He's the one who, after uh, the first the first session, yeah, uh, even as the Buddha was uh, was speaking on the four noble truth, just in brief. Uh, this is very brief. Yeah, this is actually very brief. There's no further explanation of each of the terms, but just with this explanation or this teaching. Venerable Kondana, Kondanya, yeah, that's the curly and the uh, Kondanya, 
uh, actually attain um, this should be this should be first fruit yeah this should be first fruit stainless vision of the Dharma yeah so sotapana attain sotapana yeah okay Poland uh, and and when the view of the Dharma had been set in motion by the blessed one, the earth-dwelling divas raised a cry at Baranasi in the deer park at Istipatana. This unsurpassed view of the Dharma has been has been set in motion by the blessed one, which cannot be stopped by any ascetic or Brahmin or Diva or Mara or Brahmin or by anyone in the world. Or Brahma. Or Brahma or by anyone in the world. Having heard the cry of the earth-dwelling Diva, the Divas of the realm of the four great kings raised a cry at Baranasi, this unsurpassed will of Dharma has been set in the motion by the Blessed One, which cannot be stopped by anyone in the world. Thank you. Uh, so, when the Buddha gave this teaching, uh, then it says that earth-dwelling devas. So, this is interesting, because devas we usually think is up in the sky somewhere or in some other world but here it says earth dwelling deva yeah earth dwelling deva so these are some in, in a way we can call them like uh, not tian shen maybe gui shen or uh, some spirits that actually dwell uh, on the in, in the earth yeah so these devas basically Make the hello quack. So make this uh, cry at Banarasi in the deer park at Isipatana. This unsurpassed will of the Dharma has been set in motion by the Blessed One, which cannot be stopped by any ascetic or Brahmin, or Deva or Brahma, or Amara or Brahma, or by anyone in the world. And so this uh, this series. Uh, ascetic Brahmin, Deva, Mara, or Brahma. Uh, these are the the first two are the religious people in the Buddha's time. Yeah, uh, there are different ascetics of different schools, and then there's the religious priests in the who are Brahmin caste. Yeah, and they worship Brahma. Then after that, Deva, Mara, Brahma. These are the in a way, what we call heavenly beings, yeah. And you notice that even Mara is being listed here. Uh, Brahma is the uh, is the god that the Indians, yeah, the Indians in the Buddha's time, and even until now, uh, worship and they believe that the world is created by Brahma, yeah, that everything is created by Brahma. Yeah, so. Uh, this, this is a very big statement huh? that this Dhamma, will of Dhamma has been set in motion by the Blessed One which cannot be stopped by any of them. Uh, yeah, continue. 
Having heard the cry of the devas of the realm of the four great kings, the Tava Timsa devas, the Yama devas, the Tusita devas, the devas who delight in creating, the devas who well power over others' creation, the devas of Rama company raised a cry. At Baranasi in the deer park at Isipatana, this unsurpassed will of the Dharma has been set in motion by the Blessed One, which cannot be stopped by any aesthetic or Brahmin or Deva or Mara or Brahma or by anyone in the world. Thank you. Thus, at that moment, at that instant, at that second, the cry spread as far as the Brahma world, and this 10,000-fold world system shook quick and trembled, and an immeasurable great radiance surpassing the divine majesty of the devils appeared in the world. Thank you. Christina? Then the Blessed One uttered this inspired uh, utterance. Kodana had indeed understood. Kodana has indeed understood. In this way, the Venerable Kodana acquired the name Anna Kodana, Kodana who has understood. Mm. Thank you. So, as mentioned, this comes from Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta. Uh, this is from the Samyutta Nikaya 5611. Uh, some of the Pali terms can be a bit tricky for pronunciation. Uh. Even Sufu sometimes have difficulty. So the, whenever there's an N with the curly uh, diatrix on, on top, then you pronounce it as Nya. Yeah, like N-Y-A. You pronounce it as N-Y-A. So it's Anya Kondanya. Yeah. Yeah, so like, like uh, Panya. Yeah. Uh, wisdom or Panya. <coughs> So, uh, if you turn to the front page, page 15, XB, page to turn to page XB. Of the vowels, E and O are long before a single consonant and short before a double consonant, yeah, in the paragraph. So here it explains, among the consonants, G is always pronounced as good, C as in church, N with the curly as in onion. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. The third line, N the the N with the curly as in onion. Oh, so it's the like the N Y A. It sounds like N Y A. Yeah. Uh, there are other pronunciation which. Uh, which, because for for Singaporeans, our <laughs> the our default pronunciation is of English itself is not necessarily uh, perfect. Huh? So, for example, Dharma, 
usually pronounced as Dharma, but uh, the more correct pronunciation is Dharma. Dharma. Yeah. And then Brahma is actually Brahma. Yeah, that's that hitch sound, guttural, that hitch sound. So. Yeah, so just just for your knowledge, yeah. If you if you want to learn the the proper, you can go, you can look out for the Pali class in Buddhist library. Bhante Vimala Jyoti. Uh, occasionally he will open the class. Then you all can go and attend. Yeah, it's quite tongue twisting. Then you realize that most of the time, why Sifu like some words I pronounce a certain way. <laughs> yeah, because uh, like A is not always pronounced the same way. Yeah. Sometimes it's R, sometimes it's uh yeah. Yeah. So the writing is the same but you know pronunciation may be different. Yeah. Okay, so uh, that wraps up the bringer of light. In other words the some background about the Buddha. Uh, this particular sutta, Dhamma Chaka Pavatana Sutta, is relatively brief, uh, but it outlines the Four Noble Truths and Eightfold Path. Yeah. Uh, any questions? Anybody attain? Uh, yes? Um, in the Which page are you referring to? And what is your question? Uh, use the mic. Sufu, unshakable is the liberation of my mind. Does it mean very certain? Well, this is the Buddha saying. What do you think? I think he was quite certain. Hmm. So this is uh, this is. This may seem like a trivial point, or it may seem like, uh, like, why you ask this kind of question? But this is a very interesting point because uh, I have seen different videos uh, done by different different people that that make a claim that oh, the Buddha is actually not enlightened. I've seen videos about uh, some some ex-Buddhists and they give a testimony yeah. uh, and some of these ex-Buddhists are even uh, Thai monks yeah. they somehow go and don't know how they find some Thai monks or some Buddhists or something and in one of these Buddh- uh, video, this person gave a testimony saying that oh, he had a near-death experience and then he went down to hell and then he was brought to see and then he saw a lot of monks there and then he, he saw this person and then this person is uh, Gotama Buddha and then uh, this Gotama Buddha tell him that oh, please tell my disciples to stop, give, uh, stop spreading my teaching uh, it is wrong, I'm now suffering in hell uh, you all should not follow me uh, you all should accept Christ, blah 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 blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, there are, 
there's even one that come out with a very nice beautiful booklet and if you read through the first three four pages they basically copy from various buddhist sources but then it's halfway in between then they inserted some uh, false falsehood and then they claim that this is from uh, the tripitaka found in a, a very uh, ancient script that, that is uh, discovered uh, in uh, what country? I don't know, uh, Cambodia or what country? And then they claim that some, or, and then the, the statement was, uh, was affirmed by some high monk, whoever. But if you go and search for the website in, that is stated inside this booklet, <laughs> the website is a Christian website. Yeah. Of course, just because the, our text says that the Buddha made the claim, unshakable is the liberation of my mind, this is my last birth, now there is no more renewed existence. So, some of these texts, some of these things that are being spread would say that, oh, the Buddha uh, actually told, tell his disciples, you know, you should look for someone who will come after me with marks on the hand, uh, he is the next saviour, blah, blah, blah. blah. So, up to individuals to go and make your own decision. Uh. Yeah. But to me, the, the best way is to, um, to stick to the Dharma. Yeah. You stick to the Dharma, you learn the Dharma. You, there's, a, there's this phrase called Ehi Pasiko. Come and see for yourself. Yeah. So, come and see for yourself. Approaching the Dharma. Introduction. Okay, I'm going to read a bit about the introduction, then I'll ask the next person to read. So this is the uh, from Buddha, then Dharma. Yeah, introduction. One of the most distressing predicaments any earnest, open-minded spiritual seeker might face is the sheer difficulty of choosing from among the bewildering diversity of religious and spiritual teachings available. By their very nature, spiritual teachings make claims upon our allegiance that are absolute and all-encompassing. Adherents of a particular creed are prone to exit, assert that their religion alone reveals the final truth about our place in the universe and our ultimate destiny. They boldly propose that their path alone offers the sure means to an eternal salvation. If we could suspend all belief commitments and compare the competing doctrines impartially, sub submitting them to empirical test, we would have a surefire method of deciding between them, and then our ordeal would be over. But it isn't that simple. Rival religions all propose or presuppose doctrines that we cannot directly validate by personal experience. <laughs> they advocate tenets that call for some degree of trust. So as their tenets and practices clash, we run up against the problem of finding some way to decide between them and negotiate their competing claims to truth. <laughs> Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi, in, uh, in one 
short paragraph uh, stated very plainly huh? without mentioning any religion uh, he stated very plainly and very simply yeah. uh, this is something that is not new today yeah? in the Buddha's time there were many different uh, religious teachers also all of them asserting that they, theirs is true others are all wrong in one of the sutta, the Kalama Sutta, uh, the Kalamas, one of the, the clan of, or village of people, uh, they came to the Buddha. When they heard that the Buddha was in town, they all went to see him and to ask precisely this question. They asked, you know, everybody state that theirs is true. The rest are wrong. So how can it be? Who is telling the truth? Yeah. So in that sutra itself, the Buddha clarified with them. The Buddha don't simply reply, Oh, don't worry, mine is correct. The rest are not true. The Buddha never says such a thing. But the Buddha merely advised them how they should approach what has been heard. That one should not simply accept what has been passed down simply because some person of authority said, simply because some books write it down, in fact, the Buddha even rejected logical reasoning as the only uh, measure of the validity of the statement or the teachings. Yeah? Uh, if, if that sutta is not covered in this section, yeah, I will um, maybe have it printed out. It will definitely appear inside because that is one of, a, one of the very uh, famous sutta, yeah, the Kalama Sutta. Oh. So we will see. Uh, Louise, maybe you would like to... One solution to this problem. Wait, wait, hang on. Don't, don't press it up to the middle. Ah, yes. One solution to this problem is to deny that there is an, there is any real conflict uh, between alternative belief systems. The adherence of this approach, which we might call religious uh, universalism, say that at their core, all spiritual uh, traditions teach essentially the same thing. Their formulations may differ, but their inner core is the same, expressed differently merely to accord with different sensibilities. What we need to do, the universalist uh, says, when faced with different spiritual traditions, is to extract the kernel of inner truth from the pots of their exoteric uh, creeds. From ground levels, our goals look different, but from the heights, we will find the goal is the same. It is like the view of the moon from different mountain peaks. Universalists in matters of doctrines often endorse what's the Electicism. Electicism in practice, holding that we can select whatever practice we prefer and combine them like dishes at a buffet. Thank you. So... Uh, I don't know. I don't know how your. Uh, that's the reason why I asked you all to read through the introduction, 
you know, before we, I mean, in the first few lessons. Yeah, because the introduction to each section gives a very uh, interesting um, take yeah, on the subject matter. So in this case, talking about the Dharma, the, in the first paragraph, it talks about how uh, we are faced with this predicament. How do we know which teaching is correct? Then in the second paragraph here, it talks about how there are those, when they are faced with this predicament, they choose to suggest that uh, all religions are fundamentally the same. Yeah? That at the core of it is the same. Uh, but it is just expressed differently to suit people of different um, needs, if you will. Yeah. Let's look at the third paragraph to see what Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi has to say. Uh, this solution is the problem of religious Wait, This solution to the problem. Uh, this solution to the problem of religious diversity has an in immediate appeal to those disillusioned with the exclusive claim of dogmatic religious religion. Uh, uh, religion. Honest critical reflection, however, would shows that on the most vital issues, the different religions and spiritual tradition take different standpoints. They give us very different answers to our questions concerning the basic ground and the goal of the spiritual quest, and often these differences are not merely, not merely verbal. To sweep them away as being merely verbal may be an effective way of achieving harmony between the followers of different belief systems, but it cannot withstand those examination. Uh, it cannot withstand close examination. In the end, it is little tenable as saying as little? In the end it is as little tenable as saying that because they have beaks and wings, eager sparrows and chickens are essential are essentially the same type of creature. The difference between them are merely verbal. Thank you. So from this we can see the the variable stand, you don't agree with this kind of uh, universalism approach. Uh, this is what I, what Sifu see personally at uh, interfaith dialogues as well. Oftentimes, the approach to religious harmony in the face of diversity, uh, we tend to just try to say that, oh, we're all actually teaching the same thing, or that uh, the, the, the core is the same. Uh, this is what I call homogenization. That means we try to make everybody appear the same, when in fact, fundamentally, we are different. Uh, but especially in Singapore, it's not very uh, nice to say that, huh? or not very politically correct to say that. Yeah, but I've said that in, in, public, um, in public speeches, in interfaith uh, dialogues, uh, in the face of uh, government officials many, many times. Yeah. Uh, the key thing I often highlight to them is, as I did just last week, um, and it, it is about how uh, we don't share the same belief. 
Yeah, one key thing that uh, most Buddhists don't highlight uh, is that we don't have a belief in a creator God. We simply don't. Yeah, not that we are against or, or for having such a belief. Of course, we are not for having such a belief. Yeah, but if you try to recall, if you have ever had any discussion about religion with your friends, say for example with Christians, Christians will very clearly assert that ah, uh, their belief is that you know uh, God created the whole world. Uh, we should uh, accept Christ, blah blah blah, and so on. Yeah. Uh, but for Buddhists, uh, when we hear that, we usually don't say anything. Huh? Yeah, I don't know what, what you all say. Yeah, you all don't have to say anything. <laughs> but if you all want to share, you all can share. Uh, but what I observe is that most Buddhists, when they hear this, they'll just smile and they'll just go off. Yeah? Or they'll feel like, well, they are doing it for our own good. You know? Yeah. Although we don't agree, but they, they have that disbelief, ma, so we have to respect their, their, their belief, and so on. So, um, yeah, I, I personally don't subscribe to this approach. We don't have to argue or quarrel with, with people, uh, but it's, as they share with us, we should share with them. Well, thank you for sharing, but I don't have such a belief. I don't have a belief in a Creator God. Yeah. You must highlight that it's a belief. It's not a fact. That's why it's called faith. Yeah? yeah. So if it's a belief, there's nothing to prove. Okay? But even more dangerously is when... Uh, because on an individual basis, what you say and what your friends say has limited impact, honestly. But um, when we represent uh, the different faiths during a dialogue, then uh, it has a certain impact. So as a, as a person who would, if a person were to represent Buddhism, but gloss over this, uh, don't, don't say that, you know, if you say uh, everybody very awkward, you know, yeah, then what happened? Because if you have, have you, how many of you have attended interfaith dialogues before? Oh, so the next one I should invite you all to attend. Yeah, so, um, when I first started to attend and, and to share, I, well, that was close to maybe 10 years ago. And uh, oftentimes I find that uh, there are 10 major religions in Singapore. Do you know? There are 10 religions that is recognized by the state uh, in Singapore. Yeah. Let's run through the list, okay? There's Buddhism, Christianity, Taoism, Hinduism, Islam, so that's five. There's Jurassian, there's Baha'i, there is uh, Jainism, there is uh, what else? Two more. Huh? Sikhism, yes, Sikhism. Yeah, last one. Where's the last one? Have I mentioned Taoism? Yes. Yes. Uh, what else? Integralism. Huh? Integralism? No. <laughs> no, it's part of Christianity. It's part of Christianity. Yeah. What else? I've mentioned Baha'i, right? 
yeah, Baha'i, Zoroastrian, Jainism, uh, Sikhism. <laughs> There's always one that I, I can't remember. <laughs> the one so, close to Buddhist, uh, they cannot Jaini- That's Jainism, yeah, which I mentioned. Yeah. They cannot breathe in and kill all the the, the very strict one, uh, they the actually organism in the air. Yeah. The water, they also like to when they walk, the, they, they have to sweep the floor yes. to make sure that they don't step on anything. Very the very strict one. Uh, yes. uh, it's a very small group. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Where so, yeah. At the end of the today's session, I will tell you all the last one. Uh, later we can check. So, if you look at all the ten, Buddhism is the only one that don't have a belief in a creator God. So, oftentimes when I represent Buddhism to share, whoever come before me or after me, they will all say, uh, as uh, so-and-so has shared, we are all creation of God and we are all one big family, you know, we should strive to have peace and blah, 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 and so on, yeah. Then, when it's my turn, I will stand up and say, let, let me just get one thing out of the way. Uh, we don't share it in this belief in the Creator God and all of them, all of them panic, you know. Yeah. So, um, as I've shared last week at the conference, this is, some, this is perhaps the reason why most people don't talk about this. Yeah, because it's... It feels very awkward. Everybody say they believe in God, then this, this monk come out or this person stand up and say, no, we don't share this belief. So, um, well, Taoism believe in some form of divine divinity. Yeah. Of course, if you look at Tao Te Ching at the early stages, it's, there's a certain progression or evolution of so-called Taoism as well. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the Taoism we know today is is uh, formed up from all the way from Lao Tzu down until today. Yeah. Of course, it, uh, according to the Taoist Federation, uh, Taoism started even before Lao Tzu. <laughs> yeah. So, the uh, very important thing, uh, if you want to go and tell people this, uh, my message to people often is, if you feel uncomfortable or if you feel awkward, then that's the reason why most people don't talk about it. And why do people feel awkward or uneasy? It is because most people have this idea. If we don't have the same belief, then we are enemies. But the truth is, we don't have to. Why must we be enemies just because we don't have the same belief? Just because we are different it doesn't mean that we are enemies. You know? yeah. And just because we are different doesn't mean that we cannot be friends. We can still be friends. Yeah? We don't have to be the same in order to be friends. We don't have to be enemies just because we are different. Oh. Yeah. So, um, d- besides interfaith, this few paragraph has another implication, which is that many Buddhists have this wrong view uh, all religions are the same. I have mentioned it before in this class and I'll just briefly highlight again. Uh, this is a wrong view. Because if your view is all religions are the same, then you are saying that 
Buddha is the same as God. It's definitely not the same. The Buddha explicitly highlighted that in this world with his devas, brahmas, mara, yeah, they are, they are, there's no one who is his equal. So either the Buddha tell a lie or we are wrong. <laughs> you know? But can they, can these people, they mistaken that uh, when, when they say God, but this one, they, they, they didn't call it God, they call it Buddha. But they are actually the same. Come again. I mean, uh, people will ask you. Can they use the mic? <laughs> Other religion, they will argue as in, uh, you, you, uh, we call it God, you call it Buddha. Uh, Actually, uh, we are, they are the same. They serve the same yeah. role. Uh, then again, uh, that would be a wrong understanding. Most, and, but it's true that most people, when they look at Buddhism, they think that Buddha is just our name for our God. Yeah. Uh, but therein lies the huge difference. Because in most religion, I say most uh, because I'm not an expert in all religion. In most religion, uh, their, their God is in the center of their religion. Everything revolves around God. Uh, this, is, this is the truth uh, for most of the God, most of the theistic religion. But for Buddhism, Buddha is not in the center. The Buddha never put himself as the center. Yeah. It is the teaching that is the central theme. But then even the, the teaching itself, Dharma, is not an end by itself. The Dharma serves as a tool, as an end, as a means to an end. What end? The end of suffering. So in fact, in Buddhism, rightly speaking, sentient beings is the center of the religion. Yeah. So it's very different from most religions. Yeah. Now, when I say different, I don't mean that. Uh, I don't mean it as a criticism. Uh. Yeah. It, it, it's just to recognize that we are different. Uh, oh. So, yeah. Mm. So just now I mentioned the word theistic. Uh, it appears in the second paragraph. Eh, you have already read it. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, then I read one more paragraph. It is not only theistic religion that teach doctrines beyond the range of immediate empirical confirmation. The Buddha too taught doctrines that an ordinary person cannot directly confirm by everyday experience. And these doctrines are fundamental to the structures of his teachings. Yeah, so a few words here. Theistic. Yeah, the word theistic. Theistic refers to those religion. This is a, this is a simple layman explanation uh, for you. Theistic. The word theistic refers to uh, those religion that has a belief in some kind of a god. Huh? Yeah. Then from the, theistic religion or theism, you have. Uh, monotheism and polytheism. Yeah, monotheism means belief in one god. Polytheism means belief in many gods. Then there's the atheism. Yeah. So online, you may be aware that uh, in US, in Europe, there are a lot of people who are embracing uh, not so much a belief, but a non-belief. Yeah, atheism. Yeah, a 
T H E I S M, atheism. Yeah. So some people think that oh, atheism is another belief. It's not a belief. It's the absence of a belief in God. Yeah. Yeah. Last time used to be called free thinker, and that's the reason why it's called free thinker. Yeah. Do you all know the reason why it's called free thinker? Uh, but there's some background to this because this term free thinker is a response to the traditional approach to religion that if you subscribe to this religion you're not free to think you're not allowed to think outside of the boundary if you think outside of the boundary then you are a pagan you are a an infidel you are a non-believer then you can be you know get into trouble so it, you are not you basically don't have the freedom to think the way you find suitable yeah you have to go along uh, the, the 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 so-called party line yeah so the term free thinker yeah last time everybody just called themselves free thinker but actually it has this historical background yeah that uh, they call themselves free thinker as a as a statement that they're free to think you know they're not being uh, uh, shackled yeah, uh, by some tenets or doctrines, uh, some dogma. They don't have this problem. So in recent years, uh, they adopt uh, a, a new name, yeah, atheism. And it is a direct opposition to theism. Yeah, to highlight, I don't have a belief in God. Yeah. So in this sense, Buddhism is both atheist and theist. Because we don't have a belief in the Creator God, but we also have this this cosmo cosmo view that there are some heavenly beings around, but we don't believe in them as a Creator of the whole world. We don't believe in them as the salvation for our self. Yeah. So here we saw, for example, in the introductions to chapter one and two that the Nikayas envisage a universe with many domains of sentient existence spread out in boundless space and time, a universe in which sentient beings roam and wander from life to life on account of their ignorance, craving and karma. The Nikayas presuppose that throughout beginless time, Buddhas without number have arisen and turned the wheel of the Dharma, and that each Buddha attains enlightenment after cultivating a spiritual cultivating spiritual perfections over long periods of cosmic time. When we approach the, the, the Dharma, we are likely to resist such beliefs and feel that they make excessive demands on our capacity for trust. Thus, we inevitably run up against the question whether, if we wish to follow the Buddha's teaching, we must take on board the entire package of classical Buddhist doctrine. So, as I mentioned in perhaps earlier classes and definitely in other classes, uh, there's this notion, those who attend Dharma classes tend to think uh, everything that the Buddha teaches can be directly verified. Yeah? The form of the truth, you can verify quite readily. Yeah? But, take, take this for example about the other world, most of us cannot verify immediately. Yeah. The difference is, in Buddhism, we don't say 
we don't say that you are supposed to just accept. We say that you can actually practice, cultivate your mind, and then you can verify yourself. And that, therein lies a huge difference. It will be like saying, when you first study physics or chemistry, before handling a microscope, your science tells us that there's bacteria in your hand. You know? How many of you can see the bacteria in my hand? I don't think any of you can see. Yeah? And in fact, if I were to do a, 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 a sample swap with a cotton, yeah, and then I put it on a petri dish, without training, uh, most of us we don't know how to use it, you know. Yeah. How many of you have used a microscope before? First school, they all go through. How come you all never? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> so, I remember last time, um, I think it's chemistry class, yeah, or science class, we used the, the microscope and we took a long time to actually get the right focus, you know. So, and that's just a very simple, simple experiment. And usually the, the first one is you just put some saliva and then you put it under the, uh, you, put, you, you put it between the, the, the dish or the glass film, yeah. And then you put it there and you look through, it's a blur. What do you need to do? I don't know how long. Then, oh... Yeah. So in the same way, uh, there are many aspects about uh, uh, Buddhism that you can immediately verify, but you need some training for others. Yeah. So this is one key difference in Buddhism. Telling. Uh, for early Buddhism, last paragraph. For early Buddhism, all the problems we face in deciding how far we should go in placing faith can be disposed at a single stroke. That single stroke involves reverting to direct experience as the ultimate basis for judgment. One of the distinctive features of the Buddha's teaching is the respect it accords to direct experience. The texts of early Buddhism do not teach a secret doctrine nor do they leave scope for anything like an esoteric path reserved for an elite of initiates and withheld from others. According to text 3.1, secrecy in a religious teaching is the hallmark of wrong views and confused thinking. The teaching of the Buddha shines openly as radiant and brilliant as the light of the sun and moon. Freedom from the cloak of secrecy is integral to a teaching that gives primacy to direct experience, inviting each individual to test its principles in the crucible of his or her own experience. Thank you. <coughs> so here, Venerable uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi highlights uh, two things. One is the approach in early Buddhism, yeah, as can be seen in the Pali Canon, uh, versus that which came uh, later, yeah. And here it mentions some secret doctrine, yeah. So uh, this could be a reference to the 
to what we typically know as Tibetan Buddhism, yeah, but uh, the proper term is esoteric uh, lineage, yeah, Mi Jiao. Yeah, Mi Jiao. So, uh, next. This does not mean that an ordinary person can fully validate the Buddha's doctrine by direct experience without special effort. To the contrary, contrary, the teaching can only be fully realized through the achievement of certain extraordinary types of experience that are far beyond the range of the ordinary person and mesh in the concern of mundane life. However, in a sharp contrast to the revealed religion, religion, the Buddha does not demand that we begin our spiritual quest by placing faith in the doctrines that lie beyond the range of our immediate experience. Thank you. Rather than ask us to wrestle with issues that for us in our present condition, no amount of experience can decide. He instead asks us to consider a few simple questions pertaining to our immediate welfare and happiness. Questions that we can answer on the basis of personal experience. I highlight the expression for us in our present condition. Because the fact that we cannot presently validate such matters does not constitute grounds for rejecting them as invalid or even irrelevant. It only means that we should put them aside for the time being and concern ourselves with issues that come within the range of direct experience. Thank you. So this is the uh, this is the approach that uh, you can find inside the Buddha's teaching. Uh, have I told you all, I think in the past few weeks, have I shared with you all about the angry monkey? No. No? So, uh, how about the story about the, the rabbi, a Sikh priest, and a Buddhist monk? Eh? Oh, not in this class. Eh? So, anyway, yeah, I think maybe I shared it to you. So there was once I was at this interfaith camp for youth and there was this uh, uh, participant who asked a question about evolution theory. Yeah? And so he asked the rabbi, he asked the rabbi, in, in view of evolution theory, uh, what does Judaism have to say? So the rabbi sat up, held to his Torah, his holy book, and he said, as far, and this is what he did, tapping on the holy book, and he said, as far as the holy book is concerned, God created the world in seven days, period. And then he sat back. Most people was probably like you, expecting some other explanation, uh, but he didn't give any other explanation. Personally, as I've shared with many people, uh, I respect the rabbi for giving the answer because he was being truthful to his teaching, to the teachings that he subscribed to. If I'm a rabbi priest, 
that's what I would tell people also. This is, this is our belief. You, you don't have to agree with us, but this is our belief. Yeah. Similarly for Christianity, similarly for uh, Islam, yeah, they all share this same lineage. Yeah, they are known as Abrahamic religion. So, um, after that, I mean, having said that, while I personally respect what he said, that he was quite uneasy, feeling un- uneasy. So the moderator then asked the Sikh priest to share and then finally asked me to share. So um, what has this got to do with the, the last part here? Yeah, about um, how there are certain things that we cannot verify, but we shouldn't just reject it directly. Yeah, this is very interesting because this, this uh, 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 interfaith uh, camp happened many years back, before this book was published. <laughs> so this is what I shared with them. I said, um, in this world, there are many different uh, views, different schools, uh, and we are all concerned. There are many religion, many school of thoughts, science, they are concerned with how this world come about, how it arrives, how it started. Religions and science is also concerned about how it's going to end. Evolution theory does not describe how life starts. A whole family of theories called abiogenesis yeah, describes different approaches to how, as to how life could have started from non-life. Non-living matter, then suddenly there's life. Yeah, so there's a school of science uh, with its whole family of theories called abiogenesis theories that describe how life could have started. Evolution theory describes how after life has started, the whole series of different species come about. So, um, besides this, there are various religions that describe how that God created life. But there are also people who think that life started on earth because some Martians or aliens come and plant life here. That's why I told them that day. Then in US, there's creationism, yeah, or what we call today intelligent design. And I told them, if you ask me personally, I don't know. I really don't know. If you ask me about the scripture, there are some, there are some suttas that have some description. But if you ask me personally, I don't know who, which one is true. What is that description? Huh? Is this sutra? There's, there's no beginning. Beginningless. Beginningless? Yeah. Ah. yeah. So, wait, wait, not, not, not done yet. <laughs> so, my, my point to them was, yeah, if you ask me, I don't know. But what I do know is, today, if you find a monkey with a banana, do not take the banana from the monkey. If you take the banana from the monkey, what do you get? Angry, <laughs> Angry monkey. Angry banana. <laughs> Angry banana. Yeah. For that matter, you probably get scratched already. And this is true, regardless of whether the monkey evolved from single cellular cell. Regardless of whether God created the monkey, which God created, I don't know. But, and even if alien created, I don't know also. Not, not, no one can, can prove currently, you know. 
Yeah, we can have different belief, but no one can prove it as a fact at this point in time. But what I can prove to everybody is, if you have a monkey banana, don't snatch it. Otherwise, you get stretched. Buddhism is not concerned about how this world come about. Buddhism is concerned about how suffering come about. How to avoid the angry monkey. It doesn't care much about how this world come about. It cares about how our suffering come about. And it cares about how suffering can come to an end. It doesn't care about how this world come to an end. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Hmm. Wait, you want to use the mic? Oh, yeah. uh, what I mean is, uh, those monks uh, during that time, Buddha's time, uh-huh. can only verify his words. Can verify? Uh, but who are the monks there during that time? Uh, well, many of them. Such One of them is Ananda only. Variable Ananda, hmm. Variable Sariputra, Variable Mahamogalana. Venerable Mahakashapa, Venerable mm-hmm. Mahakachayana, and many, many others. Yeah, yeah. Then there's Prince Yasa and his 60 friends who all ordained. <coughs> <laughs> but, but, but what is your point or question? No, I said these are the people who can verify his words. Oh. And, mm. and, very good point. Because those later on, uh, those are commentaries only. Uh, commentaries, By scholars, no? uh, commentaries don't necessarily mean that <coughs> they didn't verify. Commentaries doesn't mean that they didn't verify. Yeah, uh, and that is the point about this this section here, that we can verify it ourselves. Uh, not just whether the Buddha's disciples last time verified, but that we can and most importantly, we should try to verify. Because only when we verify the, the teachings, the Dharma, then can we become enlightened. I also verify. Ah, what do you verify? I went to Macau. Macau is all gambling. So uh-huh. uh, I didn't see on the, on the hall to gambling, there's a lot of Buddha statues. I don't see Jesus Christ or Muhammad. Uh, only only Buddha. So so my son asked me, um, why Buddha didn't ban gambling? <laughs> <laughs> gambling is terrible. Just because you see people with no smiling face, just concentrate, focus. And everybody's trying to hustle me, you know, to get a chip for how much, how much. Black market. Black market. So I think I, I got to explain this to him. I say, um, gambling don't kill you initially, but maybe in the end will kill you. But uh, animal get killed because someone will eat them. That's worse suffering. Yes. So actually, I I told him is gambling is a form of suffering. So they always put Buddha there to reduce the suffering because after gamble. So you, you will lose a lot of money. But the more suffering is some people because of their body, somebody eat them, they suffer a lot more. So in the end we talk about this, then I say Buddha is a special a specialist in suffering. 
a specialized in suffering. It's a specialist who, who learn about suffering and offer kind of redemption for, for those people who suffer. So we, we actually talk about why did they didn't ban the, the, the gambling because he is talking about killing other sentient beings just for food. Right, so wait, let me clarify this. Uh, when you say that the Buddha, uh, or rather your son, yes, your son asked you, mm. why didn't the Buddha ban gambling? Yes, because we so we, we talk about the precept. There's no gambler, gambling. Okay. Death, yes. So uh, let me clarify this. Yes. In the Sigulabada Sutta, mm. the Buddha did highlight the 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 downfall of gamblers the disadvantage of gambling. He did discourage gambling. Yes. Yeah. So, and he, he describes uh, many of the faults of gambling. Yeah, that um, when you gamble, uh, the, the winner is happy, but those who lose become upset. Yeah. Uh, and the words of a gambler is not trusted. Yeah. So, uh, it, it's not true uh, mm, yes. that the Buddha didn't say anything uh, negative about gambling. Uh, yeah, okay. I have to verify, yes. I have to, not, not verify, I have to yes, I clarify that. Detail. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just study the precept. Mm. So, when you go back tonight, you yes. can tell your son, yes. the Buddha did say something about. Uh, then your son may ask a different question. Mm. Oh, since the Buddha say it's not good, then how come Buddha is inside the casino, outside the casino? Uh, so this is something. Uh, who would like to take up this challenge to answer the proverbial son's question? Yeah, but if you look at Sigulavada Sutta, the Buddha did highlight that gambling is not a good thing to do. Yeah. So my question is, if uh, Andrew, right? yes. yeah. If Andrew go back tonight and share this piece of information with his son, his son may then think about it for five seconds and then retort and say, "In that case, why, if the Buddha say that it's not good to gamble, then why is he still at the uh, what? Like give answer." this human being that put, put it there what? if you have asked the Buddha Buddha may not want ask, to be put the, there huh? yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you are able to ask Buddha Buddha will say why are you putting me here yeah so in most cases I would think that um, when they put let's say Buddha's images in these places uh, I I seriously doubt that uh, the casino owners put it there to teach people about Dharma. But rather, it is like hey hey poppy poppy, huh? So okay, yeah. So y'all can go and look at Sigolabada Sutta in Diga Nikaya, oh, Diga Nikaya.
I believe it's uh, 30-something, number 30-something, 31 or something. Okay, so uh, let's just read one more paragraph before we end. Page 83, the Buddha says... The Buddha says that his teaching is about suffering and the cessation of suffering. This statement does not mean that the Dharma is concerned only with our experience of suffering in the present life, but it does imply that we can use our present experience backed by intelligent observation as a criteria for determining what is beneficial and what detrimental to our spiritual progress. Our most insistent existential demand springing up deep within us is the need for freedom from harm, sorrow, and distress, or positively stated, the need to achieve well-being and happiness. Thank you. The next person. However, to avoid harm and secure our well-being, it is not sufficient for us merely to hope. We first have to understand the conditions on which they depend. According to the Buddha, whatever arises arises through appropriate causes and conditions, and this applies with equal force to suffering and happiness. Thus, we must ascertain that causes and conditions that lead to harm and suffering, and likewise the causes and conditions that lead to well-being and happiness. Once we have extracted these two principles, the condition leading to harm and suffering and the conditions leading to well-being and happiness, we have at our disposal at outline of the entire process that leads to the ultimate goal, final liberation from sufferings. Thank you. Mm. So this uh, <coughs> this final paragraph that we are covering for tonight uh, opens with a very clear statement. In fact, in one of the sutra, the Buddha uh, answers very clearly that if anyone were to ask you what is the Buddha's teaching about, you should very clearly reply in this way, that the Buddha teaches what suffering is and how to put an end to it. When you expand these two, then you have the Four Noble Truth. If you expand that further, you have the Twelve Links embedded inside. So, um, there's no, no way to sugarcoat this or to you know, uh, gloss over it. Uh, the truth is that there are different levels of suffering, stress, pain, uh, anxiety, worry that we go through in life. Uh, Buddhism is the end, or, or rather the Dharma is the antidote towards this. Yeah? So um, having this as the, as the right view, yeah? to know that, okay, this is what the Dharma is for, uh, is very crucial. Because otherwise, if you, if you come to Buddhism with the mindset uh, that just, just um, becoming a Buddhist without learning the teachings, then you can be free of everything, that, that, may, be, that may lead to more disappointment. <laughs> yeah, having the right uh, expectation, yeah, that's very important. Okay, any, uh, is there anyone with any questions pertaining to the tonight's uh, sharing? Yes, quite. Uh, Mike, please. 
to Jesus. Is Buddha equivalent to Jesus? Yeah. So as I've as I've shared earlier, the Buddha the Buddha declared that in this world, with its heavenly beings and so on, he don't see anyone who is his equal or who is who surpasses him. He don't see anyone who is his equal. The Buddha says he don't see anyone who is his equal. Yes, no one is his equal. You can see that. Okay. Oh. Yen